Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And the way to invest is whatever suits your situation, what your income is at this point in time, how much risk you want to take. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with mortgage broker Hank Hong. Working in the finance industry for over a decade, Hong will delve into how he expanded his 10 property portfolio and gained the confidence to buy out of state while giving you the tips and tricks you'll need to get kickstarted on your own property investing journey. My name is Hank Hong. Um, I'm known as uh, Hank the Bank in our finance industry. Um, I've been doing finance for over 14 years now, and I am a full-time mortgage broker, um, part-time property builder, um, licensed builder, and also a, a father of a beautiful, beautiful seven-week-old daughter. Juggling work as a mortgage broker and as a recent father, Hong's days divided into finance, assisting clients, and time with his wife and daughter. On a given day, I'm part of a mortgage broker firm that operates out of Sydney. My day is pretty much broken up in giving advice on the finance side of things. Um, I also help people structure their, I guess, not, not the financials, not giving financial advice, but just giving ideas of how um, a lot of my other clients, I guess, invested into the market and in, in different investment tools. And the, the rest is uh, trying to be your father. From humble beginnings, Hong grew up with his parents fulfilling his educational requirements before going to university and beginning to work in the finance industry. I'm a second generation Vietnamese so my parents came over on the boats back in the 70s or 80s, um, 79, 80 and basically, you know, basic little family, dad worked in the factories, mum worked in the factories, um, went to university, dad's earned a 50 grand income, put us through university and during the time I was in university, my second year, I was... um, Poached to work in the finance firm, basically cold calling for the first uh, 12 months, then working in the finance team um, of that. So I've been in the game for about 14 years. I'm 34 this year. So um, all I know is to live, breathe finance, pretty much home loans, commercial loans, car loans, anything else to do that's got a dollar sign behind it, I can handle. So basically worked for a mortgage manager for four years, then worked inside a a mortgage manager in the credit team for another four years. And then for the last, I don't even know if that matches right, it's about seven years. In the last eight years, I've been a broker working for, prior before that, a major Australian brokerage. And also now working for smaller guys, but with a lot more control. The the finance awards, I've been ranked in the top 100 in Australia. I've got a builder's license as well, so I've built um, pretty much, well, I guess we'll get through that as well. So we've built uh, display homes, homes, 
and also got a lot of small, uh, do a lot of own development ourselves as well. So a little bit of uh, finance and property, it's a good marriage. He expands on what he studied and how his choice of study course didn't actually dictate his current profession as a mortgage broker. I studied financial planning. Um, studied four years financial planning, never used a degree, so it was a good you know, 20, 30 grand down the drain. But that's where I met um, some other guys and they introduced me into a finance firm where I cold call for the first uh, six months and then started learning about home loans. So I never used my degree, um, just always been in the home loan games, fell into it. Back in the day, it was only just a cert four, then it became an additional course and then now you need a diploma. So there is ongoing training and there is a lot of licensing now to, uh, to jump through to become a, to be able to work in finance. And they you're giving advice. So there has to be a standard level of, um, of experience and knowledge. He delves into the fact that despite his parents purchasing a property, they did not influence him onto the property investing path and have little interest in investing themselves. We were, I guess, uh, more of a lower social economic family. Um, Southwest Sydney were from Bankstown. Mum and dad didn't really do any kind of finance. They bought a house and they still had that one house to date. Um, so the, uh, being old Asian parents, they don't believe in finance. Um, they paid off all their debt and you know they, they got the one house. They don't believe in leveraging the purchase of investments and stuff like that. So nothing really came from them. It was just from working at the finance firm. They're, they're really happy with what I've done so far myself. Um, they leveraged, I leveraged them, their property to purchase my first home um, about nine, nine years ago. So they're willing to help. They just don't want any finance on themselves. Telling us the story of how he got to purchase his first home, Hong explains how he began his portfolio cost-effectively. I'm 34 now. I believe I was about 25. So when I first, so after I finished working for one of the um, the big mortgage managers, I went in and worked for a uh, a smaller brokerage firm. Um, in my first year there, I made good money, and at that point, it was the first home buyers grant. So back then, it was buy an existing property. Um, you can uh, waive the stamp duty, and you get some money on top. So I bought a prop. My first purchase was actually a, a townhouse in South Strathfield. That was four hundred eighty thousand dollars back in the day. Um, used mum and dad to leverage it in. Stamp duty's waived, so I pretty much had no cost. They uh, gave us fifteen thousand dollars on top of that. That was my first home purchase. I lived in it for six months. Um, after that, I moved back home. Well, one of the best ways I believe in investing in creative portfolio is just living at home. Mum and dad don't charge you rent, and you can keep increasing your portfolio. So that was my first step using the, the, the government grants. I'm not condoning this, but it was the situation we're in. I uh, didn't want to live there anymore. Moved back home, and I had an investment property, which I walked in with no stamp duty. Still had owner-occupied rates, rent paid itself off, and I've still got it to date. But how did he expand his portfolio, and what factors came into consideration before making those next few purchases? It was a very lucky buy for the first year. Um, so after that, we started delving into um, other areas. I I don't know if you, you – know, I'm a big fan of areas that are underdeveloped, areas that uh, might have a bad stigmata against it. So being from a Vietnamese heritage, I went and bought a unit in Cabramatta. Now, Cabramatta back in the day was – still had the, you know, the bit of a drug problem here. And then that, that that's all cleaned up. It's a fantastic place now. But we'll pick up units back then for – Ninety-five thousand, one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Picked up a couple of those, and that that 
that the, the combination of those few properties back in the day gave me enough equity to purchase other properties. It, it also comes down to timing as well. Like times are a lot different than were back then to now. There's a lot of people that go, look, we can help you buy 13 properties in four years. I know this sounds hard, but I call, I call a bit of bullshit on that because back then, yes, 10 years ago when properties were all 200 grand or 300 grand or there was high equity and all that and incomes were, you know, banks were a bit easier. But in this day and age, it's very hard to pick up 10 properties. It's hard enough to pick up your first property. He says that working in the finance industry really assisted him in assessing the property's potential and gives insight into who you should be seeing to make the right purchase yourself. Based on incomes and the way the banks were. The, the one big thing where I'm, I'm lucky to see is because I work in finance and I've built and I've seen so many, uh, work with so many clients, not one way of investing is incorrect or, or correct. Well, not, not incorrect, I'm saying. The way to invest is whatever suits your situation what your income is at this point in time, how much risk you want to take. So by by dealing with clients and their finances, I've seen nearly every single type of, I guess, financial vehicle, investment vehicle or investment technique. Negative gearing, positive gearing, building granny flats, buying units and flipping them, buying houses and flipping them, building developments, um, purchasing acreages to subdivide. I've seen every single kind of, kind of uh, finance investment tool without actually having to invest in myself. Well, if you can find yourself a good broker that's got this much uh, knowledge, they can go, yeah, this might be right, that might be right. Rather than speaking to a real estate agent that goes, look, the real estate agent might be in Berlin, you go, the best units I've got is in Berlin. You should buy a unit. So the, the broker should be probably your best person to speak to because they're unbiased. They're only doing the finance. They're going to say, yep, this investment's good. They're not going to say, come invest here unless they're selling properties themselves as well. Then there's a little bit of bias there as well. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into how Hank Hong's diversification of his portfolio came about. For the past, I think about five years, I've partnered up with my business partner and we had a construction company. His positive and negative investing moments. When something looks too good to be true, it's too fucking good to be true. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shump and you're listening to Property Investory. Western Australia is tipped to be the next property hotspot. If you're looking to invest and build in WA, take advantage of the affordable land market and record build times with Plunkett Homes. Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build to find out why they are WA's most established home builder. With over 150 years of experience, Plunkett Homes helps you develop turnkey homes across WA. To get your fixed price demolition or site works and to maximize profits and minimize time, Visit propertyinvestory.com forward slash build. And now back to the show. Hong delves on the location of his investments and how the diversification of his portfolio came about. I stuck to the eastern seaboard. So there's a couple of um, houses that we bought up in Queensland, probably 20, 30 kilometers north of um, Brisbane. Um, we've got one or two units in Brisbane as well. And then it, that, that's just stuff that's in, I guess, personal and family name. Um, the other the other side of thing is with the building game. So for the past, I think about five years, I've partnered up with my business partner and 
we had a construction company. And that, that, that company built, you know, um, display. Uh, we had a display home. The company built a lot of a lot of houses for other people, um, and pretty much we've done a lot of small developments ourselves, just doing duplexes, uh, four townhouses, and uh, you know about seven or eight townhouses, just to make extra cash on the side with smaller developments. We've never delved into the big stuff. It's it's a lot of work doing the four, small developments. It's even crazy work trying to do big units. And how the opportunity for investment came unexpectedly. My business partner now was my old, my first boss back in the day, about the 12, 14 years ago. So I was I was doing my stuff. I had the income capacity to do so. I was, and he said, "Look, you want to merge together? Throw some money in, and then we'll run the construction side of things." So I've always been a partner, and he's taking care of the, the property and the construction side of things. And he's come and goes, "We want to do this project. Yeah, let's go do the project." Um, and there's always been a bit of side money on the side. But exactly how big has his portfolio gotten and how many properties does he own now? At the moment, it's in, I'd say maybe about seven, seven or eight. And then we've got other properties that have just been sitting there waiting to be developed on as well. But it's a mixture of sums with the family, um, my own name, got some in the wife's name. So it's a bit of a mixture. Like at one point, the income side of things, you can't service anymore. So that's when you use you leverage into family and um, the business side of things. Yeah, you do as much as you can. Additionally, he goes back to reflect on the positive and negative investing moments he's experienced throughout his property investing journey. I've been lucky with the property game. Um, investing into other tools, uh, vehicles like shares and um, floating new companies. I've lost 20, 30 grand there and I swore I'd never do it ever again. Um, I've always stayed out of the share market because I have an addictive personality. So um, if, if I watch the share market, I wouldn't sleep at night. Property has always been uh, an investment tool where I could just buy and leave it and then have a real estate person look after the, the property and it's a set for getting as long as I have the repayments to cover the repayments, that's all I needed. Um, it's it's always been quite a safe bet in the Sydney, in the Sydney, especially the Australian market in the last 10 years. I don't think I've had any worse or bad experience. Um, I've had clients have bad experience, um, but it's... You know, I had clients. Okay, so we're talking about bad experience. I had clients that um, about four years ago we were assisting them in purchasing properties in mining towns. So mining towns has been a big hoo ha in the last couple of years. Mining towns were in WA properties they were buying for six hundred. Market kept going up. They built duplexes there. Um, they owed a debt of about one point five million dollars. They were receiving rent of sixteen to twenty thousand dollars a month because the the, the mining towns uh, the mining companies were paying all the rent and everything was inflated in the area. Mines disappeared. Those properties that have a debt of one point six are now worth maybe five hundred or six hundred. And if the mines the mines never come back, those properties are going to be zilch. Those kind of things are like a quick, uh, get rich quick schemes. You need to get in and get out quick, make the money. But if you stay long enough, then unfortunately. Things, things like that can happen. And what that says is that when something looks too good to be true, it's too fucking good to be true. He also gives us insight into how you can know if you're overpaying for a potential property. I'm going to probably burn a lot of people in this, in this next couple of lines. There's, there's real estate guys out there that sell you uh, units in, the, in, in areas and, then, and they turn around and go, we'll guarantee rent for the next two years. We'll do this. We'll even lower the price of $10,000. Now, a friend of mine who works in car sales said, if the car sales person is giving you free umbrellas and free mats and free everything, you've overpaid. If they don't want to give up that umbrella, 
then that means you screwed them down to the perfect dollar. So when when you go to these, um, there's a lot of property strokers out there that go, look, buy this property, buy this property. It's great. It's got this. It's got all that. It's um, you know, there's rental guarantee and all that. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck the rental guarantee. Give me the ref- like if you get a rental guarantee me for two years of six hundred dollars a week for the next uh, twenty four months. Give me thirty forty grand off the price of the thing, and I'll consider it. So if it's too good to be true, it's too good. And how even though there are good real estate agents, there are sometimes better offers around the corner. A lot of those guys have a 3% margin which they're paying to the sales guy. Cohen makes another 2% margin. So you've already lost 5% of the property value. For a million dollars, a million dollar property, that's 50000 There are agents out there that, that do their great job and they only charge 1.82%. That's perfect. That's including all the marketing there, I think. But when there's companies out there that are marking up the price 10% just for a sale, and well, a lot of these guys, sales guys, aren't even, um, what you would call it, they're, they're not even trained real estate people. They go, here's a price list, go sell this property. Go stand in the middle of Westfields and try to sell a unit for 600 grand. When the unit, clearly, you can buy a second-hand one in the same area for 500, and the rent difference is only 20, 30 bucks. He expands further on how that brand new building doesn't always mean the best quality investment. One of the things I, I talk to my clients a lot about is I love red brick, old red brick units. There's only six in the in the air, six in the complex. There's like two level stairs, so there's no strata. These things are usually 120 square meters, so they're massive. They're not built like the new units where it's like you know a maze of hallways. It's spacious, it's solid, and the strata is low. Great investment, and the difference in investment, the rental price might be. 60 to 70 bucks, but then you don't have to pay strata. You don't have to pay for a pool and elevator that you won't use. On another note, Hong goes back to around five years ago to spill the details on the aha moment where everything fell into place and investing just clicked for him. There was an investment that we were looking up at uh, Queensland, and I wouldn't say it's an aha moment, but everything just seemed like it was a perfect timing. So it was perfect timing. There was a railway that was being built into that um, into that area. Uh, what can we call it? Uh, Redcliffe. So Redcliffe in Queensland, which is about 30 kilometres north. It pretty much had a uh, a train line that was scheduled to finish. And it finished in 2017. It's 18 now. Yeah, 2017. A train line that brought it straight into Redcliffe. Redcliffe is a suburb right on the water near Harvey Bay and stuff like that. So you can pick up a house there for about $300,000 back in the day, 600 square meters. The great moment about that situation was um, a Costco was opening up two suburbs away. Um, the train line was finishing. Um, I think there's a hospital being built around that area as well. So we were lucky enough to jump in and then the prices went up about 200K in the space of about a year, year and a half because the Costco went up. You, you know that Costco pulls a lot of money into a suburb. So Costco came in, the hospital came in, the, the train line finished up. So basically, you can train into Brisbane in 30, 40 minutes, and you're you're about you know 400 meters away from the beach. So in Sydney, it was like um, you know it, if they build a, a, a high speed train line to Gosford and Newcastle, those properties it would go double instantly. If you can get from Newcastle into Sydney in the space of 35 minutes, you fucking win. So the main thing we were looking for was because of the large. Whenever I look at investment. Because of the the building, uh, I guess the building experience, I always look at the potential to build. So I, I stopped buying units back in the day and tried to look for land because later on you could subdivide and duplex. So the frontage and how big the size of them was always an importance. With so much knowledge to pass on and a ton of successes up his sleeve, 
he finished this by expanding upon what made him buy property in Queensland rather than closer to home in Sydney. Sydney got overpriced. The, 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 the market for duplex and small, small developments, there was just too many builders out there. Mums and dads, you know, mums and dads, I remember five, six years ago, we were still talking about the mum and dad builders. The mum and dad builders are gone because the cost of buying the land, the cost of building, only builders themselves or someone that's in the industry, carpenters and stuff, they can call in friends. That's when you can make a profit. To, to purchase a block of land and to want to build a duplex and have the mum and dad come along, you lose a 15 to 20% margin to the builder already. After capital gains and everything, you're going to be left with maybe 30, 40 grand, if that. Not worth it to go sink a million dollars in to make 30 grand. So you can look outside interstate. So inspired by Hank Hong's journey and his amazing aha moments, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss his property investing strategy. The one big thing I've kept with us is that we've always kept small. The personal habits which have contributed to his success. One of the biggest things we're trying on about as well is when um, I get emails, I'll respond to an email in a couple of minutes. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Also, are you looking at buying property in 2018? Would you like expert tips and advice on the best ways you can purchase property? Whether you're a new or experienced investor, learn from the experts by downloading the Property Investment Buying Handbook. It contains the best tips and advice from 37 of Australia's leading property experts. Simply visit propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to get your copy right now. Thanks for listening.